A few weeks ago, all the news was about American millionaires launching themselves and others into space simply because they wanted to go there. Now, I have no intention this morning of getting into the argument about whether that is a good use of those millions or what it says about any of these people's character that they would spend their money in such a way. I think the internet has pursued those arguments to exhaustion. But I am interested in the way private spaceflight illustrates the human desire to overcome limitation, to break out of boundaries, to exceed ordinary function. We aspire toward ever greater achievement, which has brought wonderful things to human life, but which also poses great danger to the well-being of both humans and the rest of creation. And one of the boundaries we routinely disregard to our detriment is sufficient rest. We're commanded in scripture to remember the Sabbath, a word that means to cease. We're commanded to stop, and yet we continue, always trying to do more. Perhaps this has become more difficult in modernity with the evolution of timekeeping. In the early days of creation, we might assume that people simply worked during daylight hours and slept during the dark. They might have met up like the day after tomorrow, but there were no 8 a.m. meetings or 60-minute worship services. Then the sundial was invented, and things got slightly more defined, but time still depended on the universe, the tilt of the earth, the spin of the planets, the weather. You might meet someone then around 3 o'clock, but there was no minute-by-minute -minute precision. Then, during the Industrial Revolution, clock towers began appearing in town squares, making the hours more precise and well-known, chiming them out to you wherever you are, as long as you're within hearing distance. Still then, time was community property. It belonged to everyone together. Fast forward, though, to the digital wristwatch. And suddenly, time no longer sweeps across the face of the clock in the square, but now flashes as distinct numbers, each second its own entity. Now time belongs to the wearer of the watch. It is referenced at any moment of the day or night. It is no longer connected to either the universe or the community. Now it belongs to each of us. Somewhere along the way, we stopped thinking of time as something that God is in charge of. We stopped thinking about time as God's gift to the world. And we started imagining ourselves as masters of time. Six-year-olds are now issued day planners in school so that we can indoctrinate them into the practice of looking at a day or a week as a series of boxes to be filled in, appointments to be made, 
to-do items to be scheduled. We use our own calendars, whether paper or digital, to see how much we can fit in, shifting little blocks around from one day to the next. Somewhere along the line, we began to believe that time belongs to us, but in truth, we became possessed by time. We became obsessed with productivity, with pushing the boundaries. We began to believe we could never stop until our work was finished. And in truth, it will never be finished. So we never stop. But this is not what God had in mind for us. God gave us a model to follow by creating the world in six days and then resting on the seventh. Even though God could have kept going and done more, perhaps reinforcing human needs so they wouldn't need replacement so often, or tweaking plants so that poison ivy wouldn't cause so much distress, or maybe rethinking the mosquito altogether. But instead, God rested without regret and took pleasure with what God had created. God, you see, is not a workaholic. God does not worry that creation will fall apart if God stops working. God created a world that does not require endless work. And so God rested. And if the model itself wasn't enough, clearly the model itself wasn't enough. Then God commanded us to follow it. In Exodus, in the first listing of the Ten Commandments, you see that the Sabbath command stands between the commandments that keep us in relationship with God and the commandments that keep us in relationship with one another. It's the most detailed of all the commands and the only one that gives reasoning behind it. It says you should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy because God blessed it. By keeping it, you honor both God and creation, acknowledging that you are not in charge of the universe, that that job has already been taken. We're commanded to rest because we are created in the image of a God who rests. And Sabbath isn't just an option. We are commanded to do it. Then if we turn over to the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy, where the Sabbath command begins almost identically to that in Exodus, another reason for keeping Sabbath is given. Here, just before the people enter the Promised Land, after years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses reminds them that to keep the Sabbath, Sabbath is a privilege of liberation, the freedom God offered them after rescuing them from slavery. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann explains that Moses is saying our ancestors in Egypt went 400 years without a vacation, never a day off. Not persons created in the image of God, but equipment for making bricks. You have a chance to live differently. So rest at least one day in seven. If we're following the command from Deuteronomy, then... When we decline to rest, we actually give up our liberation. 
and willingly go back to being slaves. God created the world with a number of rhythms built in. Days and nights, phases of the moon, tides moving in and out, and seasons changing. And these boundaries are meant to give life rather than to constrain it. But the rhythm of Sabbath, of rest in our rhythm of work, is more than just a day off or a vacation now and then. For one thing, Americans are notoriously bad at taking time off. Our culture insists that we are available all the time. Perhaps you have seen the internet meme that's been floating around, which gives an example of a European out-of-office message. Something like, I'm away camping for the summer, email again in September. Contrasted with an American out-of-office message, which sounds more like, I have left the office for two hours to undergo kidney surgery, but you can reach me on my cell anytime. This isn't how Jesus lived even though his job was quite more important than any of ours. He regularly took time away to connect with the creator of all things. He was not always available. He did not worry that things might fall apart if he took time to restore his soul. But even if we do it well, Sabbath is more than simply taking a day off or going on vacation. It's intended to be rest for the body and the mind, yes, but also the soul, which means connecting with the one who created the rhythms of work and rest in the first place. This is why we encourage you to attend worship on Sundays rather than simply spending the day at the beach. Not because God isn't also at the beach, but because a worshiping community helps you to reorient your life towards the only one who can offer rest for your soul. What's even more interesting to me is that for Christians, the week begins with Sabbath. Jews celebrate Sabbath on Saturday, the seventh day, because that's when God rested at the end of creation. But when Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday morning, Christians claimed Sundays as our special day, the day of resurrection which means that if we rest on Sundays, we rest before we begin working, not because we have earned rest by doing enough or finishing what was on our to-do lists. In fact, the early church understood that holy leisure, otium sanctum in Latin, was essential to the development of our deeper humanity. The Latin word for work was negotium, or non-leisure. Work was secondary, defined as it related to rest. Our utilitarian culture has reversed that language, defining leisure as non-work, that which we earn or simply fall into only when we're exhausted. It's countercultural, then, for sure, to take this one day a week to offer our souls space to breathe, 
a day not to get errands done or to clean the house, but to connect with God and others and celebrate the gift of time. The rest of the world will not stop and just offer us this time. We have to discipline ourselves and encourage each other to take it. This might mean saying no to some nice things, like some sports or parties or even promotions at work. But even Jesus was chastised by the broader culture for taking the rest he was created for. His disciples often telling him that everyone had been looking for him while he, when he came back to work after Sabbath time. That rest is countercultural is nothing new. In practice, one day a week might feel like a lot. But in reality, it's only 14% of our time, which is almost precisely the percent of time that the average American adult currently spends on television and social media combined. We can rest. We do have the time. We can live into the rhythms God created for us. But it will take intentionality to silence the voices, to turn off the email, to set down the to-do lists, and to open our hearts to God, trusting that God will take care of things while we don't. Then, Sabbath will result not only in more well-rested bodies, healthier relationships, and more balanced schedules, but also in lives more in touch with the holy, closer to the heart of God, Lives not enslaved to our calendars, to the culture of production and consumption, but lives that receive time as gift, rest as an offering. Lives that no longer try to earn God's love for us, but bask in it as it pours over us. At least one day out of seven. Amen.